Hi there, my name is Robert McLaughlin. I'm a cinematographer on Game of Thrones and recently Westworld and Ray Donovan as well. And I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. All right, we are ready to rock and roll for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 466 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases. And this week on our interview segment, we have Robert McLaughlin joining us. He's the director of photography for Game of Thrones Ray Donovan, Westworld, and a whole slew of other movies and TV shows. You got to check this guy out. Robert McLaughlin is coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So get ready for that. Also, we got some remakes coming away and a whole lot of other stuff. Get ready for another one right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. It is time for Remake Madness. Looks like uh, David Harbour, the police chief on Stranger Things, will be the main character in Hellboy, the remake. And Ron Perlman, of course, was the original former star of that. And let's see, a Knight Rider remake is in the works. Uh, Actually, there's a couple, or there's things being thrown around. And uh, anyways, uh, right now, it looks like the Weinstein Company is working on a comedy version of Knight Rider see what happens with that and let's see newman akar of homeland will star uh, or join rather the cast of aladdin he's going to play jafar's sidekick in the live action remake of aladdin and that's it for remake madness coming up next on on screen and beyond it's time for upcoming movies Upcoming new movies october 20th in theaters you can catch only the brave and that stars Josh Brolin, Jeff Bridges, and Jennifer Connelly, based on the true story of the Granite Mountain Hotshots. And that's a group of firefighters. And uh, in this time of uh, all the movies being uh, superheroes and everything, you know, fantasy superheroes, this is actually the real superheroes. So be sure to check that one out. And Will Ferrell will star in a comedy called The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. It's a long title. It's going to be uh, hard to put that on the marquee. And Leonardo DiCaprio will star in the story of Leonardo da Vinci. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Sequel City, well, we got some crazy ones coming your way. We have Super Troopers 2. It's going to be uh, screaming into theaters on, get this, 420-2018. 
All right, and it continues the zany antics of the bumbling troopers. And let's see, Daniel Craig, he is going to be returning as James Bond. It's been going one way, then the other, then back and forth and everything else. But he is going to be the James Bond in the 25th installment of the film series. And Gremlins 3 is in the works, and it's going to be directed by Chris Columbus. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? TV on DVD on September 19th, the 20th anniversary edition DVD box set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer will be arriving. Also on September 19th, you can look for the 15th anniversary collector's edition Blu-ray box set of Firefly. And that's going to be flying into stores for you. And let's see, uh, here's Johnny. Johnny Carson is going to be coming our way in two DVD collections. One is called Johnny and Friends, the Complete Collection on September 19th. And on September 26th, it looks like the Vault Series, Volumes 1 through 6, will be coming your way. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen to Beyond, we take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, it looks like Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler will be hitting stores on October 10th in The House. And Girls Trip with Queen Latifah will be arriving on October 17th. And you can look for The Book of Henry as it comes our way on October 3rd. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, well, The Hunger Games and Twilight are becoming lands in a theme park. That's right, Lionsgate Movie World will feature both those films, along with some of their other ones from Lionsgate, only it's going to be in South Korea. But who knows what they'll do. They may expand it. We'll see. And uh, sadly, actor Jay Thomas of Cheers and Murphy Brown fame has died at the age of 69 and Comedy legend Jerry Lewis, of course, passed since our last last episode, and uh, he was the age of 91. He will sorely be missed. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthdays. <laughs> Celebrity birthdays, August 25th, Blake Lively turns 30. August 26th, Chris Pine, 37. August 27th, Paul Rubens turns 65. August 28th, it looks like David Soul of Starskeen Hutch turns 74. On August 30th, Cameron Diaz turns 45. And on August 31st, Richard Gere turns 68. And that's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, August 29th, Jeffrey T. of Oakland, California, turns 43 years old. If you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we will see you about getting your birthday on the show so everybody all over the world who listens to On Screen and Beyond wishes you a very happy birthday. 
And that's it for Celebrity and Listener Birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take you into the world of the Game of Thrones, Ray Donovan, Westworld, and so many others. It's Robert McLaughlin. He is the director of photography for Game of Thrones and all those others, and so many others, too. Uh, and uh, he's going to be joining us right here. Robert McLaughlin, next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, we are joined by a two-time Emmy-nominated director of photography from many TV shows and films, including Game of Thrones, Ray Donovan, Millennium, Westworld, Willard, The Commish, The Golden Compass, and so many others. It's Robert McLaughlin. Robert, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks for having me. Now, Robert, director of photography, cinematographer, we hear those terms an awful lot. Are they interchangeable, or is there Definitely a difference in, you know, I don't yeah. want to insult you by calling you one or the other if you're not one of them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, I think, I think most cinematographers are, are, are proud of being cinematographers. And what's happened is the story I was told by an old Hollywood cinematographer when I joined the American Society of Cinematographers um, years ago was that where the director of photography title came from was something that was negotiated with the um, Motion Picture Association. Um, for the head cameraman. And he, in, in a nutshell, he basically said they, they didn't want to call it lighting cameraman or first cameraman like sometimes they had done in the UK. They didn't want to say cinematographer. They wanted to get the word director in there because they felt that so many, so many directors in the director's guild didn't really um, have, a, have, a, have a clue about filmmaking to the extent that... Um, the cinematographers wanted everybody to know that there was another another kind of director whose hand was on the wheel, so to speak, in the making of a film. And um, and 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 in a nutshell, he basically told me that they said it just to piss the, the directors off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's the that's the thing. You know, I, I just. Most of, I mean, we've on here. We've had actors. We've had Oscar winners. We've had Emmy winners. We've had, uh, you know, musicians, composers, uh, directors, uh, all different aspects. But the, you were the first cinematographer or director of photography that we've ever had. So, uh, awesome. can, can you give us an idea of of what you're doing? Well, the, the director of photography. I mean, basically, you're the you're the. You know, like I'm, I'm happy to call myself a cameraman, but you know, on a, on, a, on a really big production, what happens is, for efficiency, you end up with a camera operator, or more often these days, you have two camera operators um, in order to make your day, to have two cameras being operated at the same time. Um, and my job is to basically everything that ends up on the screen stops the you know the, the photographic buck stops with the director of photography or the cinematographer so um i'm in charge of how the scene is lit how the camera is moved where it's placed um uh the lenses that we choose to use the f-stop that we use you know all, all the all the fine adjustments to the camera that heavily affect the way the image might end up being um what filtration we might be using um 
so on and so forth. Uh, what um, I'll, you know, obviously at, at this point and on the scale of filmmaking that we're doing now, certainly on a, you know, on for instance that that massive episode of Game of Thrones that just aired, um, I'm I'm increasingly find myself delegating. So I'll, I'll go to my key grip and say, okay, what's the best mount to put the camera on? You go ahead and do that and put it on the you know the the best altering vehicle that you think is going to be the best for taking it down, mm-hmm. doing this that shot or the other. I'll work with my uh, with my my gaffer, who's the chief lighting technician, and talk to him about you know I'll, I'll I'll tell him where I want the key light, where the key light should go, where the main source of illumination should be. Um, you know, some guys are more micromanaging than others. I tend to be extremely non-micromanaging, so you know I I I like to give my guys as much input and contribution as they can. So exactly what light, for instance, they put outside a big say, the, the windows of the throne room on Game of Thrones or something, I'll leave that to them as long as they understand how much I need and the quality of the light mm-hmm. and so forth. So, so. Um, and for me, really, for a long time, the most fun part has been, you know, the, the, you, the painting with light, which is how our job has been, you know, described over the years. And, um, and bathing the set in light because when you arrive in the morning in a in a in a, in a stage, regardless whether it's just a, a police interrogation room on a, on, a, on a police drama or or one of those magnificent sets that we have on Game of Thrones, um, before you turn any lights on, it's just basically a big dark blank canvas, and you you know where you put the light, how you draw the viewer's eye. And, and to where, and, and again, going back to, you know, the camera, how you move the camera, the lenses that you use to, again, focus the viewer's attention on what they're supposed to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And I think the most fun part for me is, is you know, you, you read the script, you try to interpret the intention of the scene as it is on the page, you look at how the actors are going to be playing the scene, and mold and sculpt your lighting accordingly to create the right tone and mood for the scene. So, you know, it might be, it might be lighthearted. It might be a little bit more high key and, and, and well lit, or you might have something, you know, for instance, in the, in the, in the red wedding episode of game of Thrones, where the, the scene, what I tried to do was I, I, I lit that scene up as much as I could so that all the viewers would think that, you know, they were, they were going to get a happy ending. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel, I wanted the, 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 the picture to be as, as bright and happy by Game of Thrones standards as could be as, as much as the music was and the tone of the, of, of, of the acting and the, and, and, the, um, and the staging of it so that nobody knew it was coming. And then, and then we, we very subtly, by having the actors pick up the, all the candlesticks that were, were one of my primary lighting sources and walk out of the room with them with the bridal couple, they took all the light out of the room very organically so that we didn't have to do some sort of corny um, lighting change as it shifted into a, a much more, you know, dire situation. Mm-hmm. And yep. that way the audience wouldn't notice that they were, that, that things were, you know, turning for the worse. And, um, and then, and when we, 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 when we yanked the rug, the audience went down all the harder. So <laughs> um, really it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big job and it's, um, you know, on, on, for instance, the loot train attack scene, there were 25 people in the camera department alone with, with four operated cameras and all wow. the various assistants. Um, there's a lot of, there's a massive amount of camera equipment that has to be chosen and managed. Um, um, so, so all of that stuff lands in the director of photography's lap. Hmm. 
Now, see, as as an average person, you know, who's watching TV or, or film or something like that, you know, I, I maybe I'm not maybe I'm not speaking for everybody, but uh, you know, I would have thought that's what the director does, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there's so yeah, many director, people. No, yeah, no. The uh, the technical the directors really aren't involved in the technical side of things unless they're a particularly you know an especially accomplished visual director. You know, if you've got someone like a a Ridley Scott. Um, to, to, you know, as, as an extreme example, mm-hmm. somebody who's a, got an amazing eye and is a really great stylish and uh, stylist, I should say, um, and has a great eye for composition, um, they'll have a lot more input into it. And, and I actually really love working with those guys because, you know, you don't, um, it, it, it's easier to get on the same page in, turn, in terms of making really great frames and nice compositions and, 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 and staging a scene in a way that you can light it the most attractively because um, there are a lot of directors out there. I mean, now I've, I've, I've photographed close to 500 episodes of, of just television, never mind movies and movies for television. And a surprising number of those directors don't really, they, they, they have, they have an astonishingly, astonishingly, um, poorly developed visual sense, they might, on the other hand, be amazingly good, have an incredibly good ear for dialogue and performance mm-hmm. and, and, and nuance on that end of things. And that's stuff that a cinematographer typically isn't paying quite as much attention to because you've got too many other things to, right, to yeah. keep your eye on. Yeah. Well, when I think of cinematography, of course, in all a lot of the movies now, they, they all have this dark ominous look to them you know that and and you feel it i mean it's i I know you probably you know say of course they do (laughs) but it it, it, it's funny how you can with lighting you can make people feel a certain way yeah i mean that's the wonderful thing about it and also if you use you know i i i'm I, i take my inspiration from especially for a period piece like game of thrones i take my my inspiration from the great art of, of, you know, starting in the Renaissance and going up to the, the genre paintings of the, of the 19th century, especially, uh, you know, it, it, it starts with, with da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, really, because he, he introduced sort of a painterly version of the use of smoke to, to sort of give you a more depth and, and, and to blend the edges of light and dark so it didn't look so, car- you know, his paintings looked less cartoonish and more 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 real and, and what's become known as painterly. And that's always what I'm aiming for with the photography and and my lighting and um you know i'm I'm, i think if you i could i could probably put a lot of frames that we've done over the years from game of thrones up against um paintings by georges de la tour the great french artist or or rembrandt or many of the other great painters of the dutch schools and um and uh and, and and you'd see some some real parallels and and i think even even if people don't realize it consciously, subconsciously, because it feels very painterly and classical and of a period, it helps suck you into that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the things, uh, and I presume this is the cinematography, the you know that 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 this is. But I remember all the old movies. I like a lot of old movies, and you know when you see the the guy or the girl, and just around their eyes. Are highlighted. I don't know if, if you you know it's it's sort yeah. of like it's it it brings out the eyes sort of like it's almost like there's a spotlight on them, 
And uh, I, I figured that must be hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to do. And, you know, in the old movies, that was easier because um, it, you could tell an actor, look, you're, you know, they, they, they were very much working for the studios and the studio told them what to do and they did it. But um, actors like a lot more freedom now. But in the old days, you know, they'd be given a mark and told to look in this direction and they really had to nail it. And you could you could use these these little cutters we call flags to to um, mold the light so that it was only hitting their eyes or whatever. That's kind of hard to do now because, um, you know, that, that that sort of world and that that acting discipline is long gone. And, and, you know, I quite honestly, I wouldn't want to do that anyway, because it's really restrictive to the actors. And and it gives them one more thing to think about that they shouldn't be think about, thinking about when they're when they're deep inside their character. So um, I actually have a little thing. It's like a little it's a little LED thing that I clip under the lens. It, it just it, uh, it 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 doesn't do very much, but when you get in for a close up, it gives me that wonderful twinkle in the eyes, and and that's hmm. something I I really rely on and I look for. And if it's you know if you if you miss it in a character. Um, I, I I I feel like we're, we're we're missing a little bit of the performance. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, one of the times, one of the only times that I'll, I'll, I'll consciously not use something like that is if it's a really bad guy and you want those eyes to just go dead. Right. Yeah. Huh. So these are little tricks you've you've learned over the years, or or even experimented and came up with. Um. Yeah. I mean, it just you know, <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time, and. Um, and you know you 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 always go back and and you know you look at the work that you did and 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 assess it and how well it, it, it worked and it's one thing to look at it in dailies the next day but it's much more important to see how it how it played in the final cut product and um so you know i'll i'll, I'll analyze a finished piece very carefully after it's been edited and the music's been put in and say well, you know and 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 just really for years and years and years, I've been picking apart hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scenes mm-hmm. in the back of my head after the fact going, well, we could have done this a little better. We really got that nicely and so on and so forth. So that, you know, now um, I'm on set and, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is just, it's just second nature. And also if you work with the same very good crew all the time, your lighting technicians um, can anticipate all that. And it becomes, it becomes, um, becomes your basic working format really now can you go to a movie and enjoy it or do you sit there and you know in the back of your mind you're sitting there saying oh geez if they had done this and done it this way it would have it would have enhanced something or so do you it's you know what it's hard i i i sometimes it's got to be a really good movie to, 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 to really suck me in but i i have to tell you i mean i i you know in watching uh, for instance game of thrones um or um you know, a really, if, if a really well-crafted show. I mean, I really enjoyed the Young Pope last year and the Crown. I thought they were exquisitely photographed, both those shows. And when all the technical elements are there, and 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 all the all the you know you're there, that that show is firing all on all technical cylinders as well as creative. Um, those are the ones that I get the most out of because you you just forget about it. But um, yeah, if it's if it's technically not very good, it just it just really bumps. And you know, it, it it I think I think subconsciously for a lot of viewers because we've all become so sophisticated now that um, the shows you know you know technically you 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 really do have to be spot on and you you don't want it to be unattractive um, 
you want it to feel right, and it should feel right for the location and the setting that you're in. It should, but you know, at the same time, I, you know, I, I call it enhanced naturalism. You try and make it feel as natural as possible given the circumstances, but then you enhance it in some small or larger way so that it helps serve the story and the script better. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and, and the other big thing that a, a good cameraman is always trying to do is not draw attention to the cinematography. Um, and you can, you know, I, I, we've all been to movies that were exquisitely beautiful and, and like really stylishly shot and stuff, but um, maybe the movie wasn't that good. And the other thing is that if the viewer's watching it and they're going, wow, look at that, that's a really cool camera move, or or look at that, you mm-hmm. know, incredible lighting or whatever. Yeah. If they're if that thought is flashing through their head, they're not engaged in the story. True. And, yeah. And, and and you know, it's 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 really I, the the best photography is invisible photography. So, uh, at the, and at the same time, it's got to be. Oh, you know, good enough that in hindsight, or if someone goes back and revisits it or thinks about it or goes for coffee with their friends afterwards and they're talking about it, only, only then do they sort of realize, wow, that was really very, very artfully crafted. And um, But you don't want them thinking that while they're watching it. Right. Ever. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, uh, of course, we mentioned the Game of Thrones and uh, uh, Ray Donovan and West uh, Westworld, uh, and those are you know I mean everybody's seen seen those and they're just huge and and uh, but now some of the other things you've done over the years, um, a couple in particular here, uh, Hopper's Island on CBS was one year uh, one season. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that show and it, oh good, it was very. Uh, I thought it was good. It was novel. I, I, I thought it really should have had another uh, another couple of seasons in it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it the mood in it was really good. The way that you did that. Uh, now, but one thing I noticed is it's not always the same director of photography for the whole series. They they do they they change. Um, well, it was on 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 uh, Harper's Island. It was. Okay. Um, what's become a real trend now is is um, on on most American epi- produced episodic is often there will be two directors of photography alternating episodes because the way they make shows here is they 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 shoot one at a time and while one is filming the other one is prepping uh, and I finding see. locations and and um, and uh, and so on and so forth and um, as the budgets have gotten better they've been able to carry two cinematographers. So that while one is shooting with director A, the other one is prepping with director B for the, the upcoming episode, and they sort of they hopscotch that way. But they must have to um, look that's for the way. That's how we did it on Westworld last year. Um, I've only done that once or twice, and quite frankly, I it's 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 it it isn't the most satisfying thing to me because when you sign on to a series. You 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 know there's a certain pride of ownership of the, right, of the yeah. show and, and the cohesiveness and um, and that's what I really like and that's what I love about doing Ray Donovan is that I shoot I almost always shoot all the episodes um, there was an exception last year when I was also going to be directing one and I had to I had to prep for it and scout locations but when it came came time to to direct my episode they also let me photograph it which, which was incredibly satisfying and extremely efficient quite frankly wow yeah. Yeah, because I would think they would have to get two people who are very like-minded as far as director of photography. If you, if you know, I mean, because one guy could come in and and do everything bright, and the other one could come in the next episode and have everything dark. Yeah, and you know what? That does happen because no two guys approach the scene the same way. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, I think the best example of, of, of a bunch of cinematographers all hitting more or less the same notes is Game of Thrones because that show shoots in a very unique manner. No other show in the world has ever, series at least, has ever shot that way where all five episodes, or, or all ten episodes, which, you know, in a typical ten-episode season, will will be will be made by teams of um, five directors team with with a with a with each each with their own cinematographer and assistant director, and those teams of three bounce between the two full shooting crews, um, and you're and so there's there's five of those teams and you're all sharing at the same time. So there's actually five in a typical season. There would have been five cinematographers working on it. And the way the show that show has kept the consistency is, first of all, we're all we're all dedicated to making sure it does. But the other thing is that that those I, th- I think stylistically our heads are all pretty much in the same space. Mm-hmm. And the sh- what what the producers do is they give us each an iPad when we land in Belfast every year that's got a a, um, a scrapbook basically of frame grabs from the entire oeuvre of the entire series chapterized into each of the individual sets that we'll be working in and how they've been photographed in the past. So that way nobody goes in and tries to reinvent the wheel or makes uh, the, you know, the, the red key throne room or, or what have you look radically different than anything else. But, but it, you know, that that's, it's not actually that hard because when you have, when you're lighting a, a set like that, for instance, naturally, um, in a, you know, a, a, say it's a, a day scene in your interior, um, you're really limited by where the windows are in the room, what kind of lights you put outside it. And, um, and you know, there's some, some variation. Everybody approaches it slightly differently and artistically. But I think if you look at the, the, the whole um, series, especially starting sometime in season two up until um, most recently, it's it's a very consistent looking show. Mm-hmm. Um, season one, where, where they were just sort of like finding themselves, I think you'll see that it, if if you were to go back and look at it, you'd see um, a lot more sort of unmotivated backlight. It, it looks more it looks more like a, a, a Disney movie might than the incredible moody, atmospheric, and, and naturalistic look that the show has uh, become known for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, well, I, I know Robert, we're we're getting close to the end of the time here, and uh, but I just wanted to pick up uh, uh, just a couple last questions here, quick ones. Uh, I see in two thousand four you did the Robinsons Lost in Space, but I never saw that movie. Did that something that didn't come out? That was a that was a um, a TV movie that was intended to be a pilot for for a reboot of the series that John Woo directed. Um, and I have to say, I absolutely loved working with that guy. He's an awesome filmmaker and he's a lovely human being. Um, but it was just one of those cases where for whatever reason, um, 
it, it, it didn't quite click with the network executives and it didn't end up being a uh, being a, a new TV series. And I think someone else is now taking another run at it now. Right, 10, that's what you know, I heard, 10, yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah they should sometimes take those old movies, or old shows or movies that they've done that, that never got out and just show them because I think people would love them, you know? I, you know, I've been saying that for years. I mean, there, there's a, there's a world of amazing television pilots that have been done out there that have never seen the light of day. And, I'm sure. You know, there's some pretty interesting stuff there. But, I mean, I, I, it occurred to me that one of the reasons they might not want to let it out is that if, 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 if the whole world went crazy for it, then some executive would would be on the spot for having said, "No, we're not going to make right. that into series." <laughs> they don't want to be embarrassed. True. Yeah. Well, Robert. Two final questions, taking us away from your, well, not really taking us away from your cinematography, but uh, when you sit down and relax, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past, and what are your favorite movies now and of the past? Wow. Um, Favorite TV shows? um, I'm pulling a a blank here. I mean, there are uh, right now. Um, what did I just watch? I... You're gonna have to give me a second. <laughs> um, you know, comfort food movies from the past. You know, those ones if you're channel flipping that I, right. you know I can't go past. Yeah. What um, would what would those movies? be? Um, um, the Big Lebowski would be one that I. Mm-hmm. I stop on and we'll watch the rest of pretty much anything by uh by the cohen brothers for that matter mm-hmm. um and um uh oof, you know the you know something like you know, the, the you know ridley scott's blade runner um any, anything that's um that's that that you can sink your teeth into especially visually or or creatively you know those are those those, those would be the movies um Lately, I mean, there's so much great stuff on TV these days. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I like I was saying before, I really like I really liked The Young Pope, and also I thought The Crown was exquisitely put together. Um, but in terms of repeated viewings, what about when I you were to think about that? Okay, one. that's all right. What about when you were a kid? What What did you always watch when you were a kid? Well, I loved Mission Impossible, ah, uh, yeah. you know, the old original series. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I loved Rat Patrol. I mean, all those oh, things yeah. that, you know, a little boy would, <laughs> would, would, would really dig. Um, but I also liked, there was a show when I was a kid growing up, there was a border channel. I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and there was a border channel from Washington State that would run a, run a, 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 a sort of a low-budget, Usually, often, often old film noirs, which I think really affected me, and 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 you know may have may have informed my my love for that genre. Um, and and they were kind of cheesy and low budget, but they're always kind of satisfying. And they they'd run an hour of it, like at five o'clock, and then you'd stop for the Walter Cronkite news, and then get the last the conclusion after that. And um, I grew up watching those a lot, and I think that you know I couldn't I couldn't tell you the name of a single one of them, but mm-hmm. I think artistically and stylistically that may have that may be why you know i've i I think my most creative period as a cinematographer has been in these last five years when i've literally been been rolling from um game of thrones which i I look at as medieval noir to ray donovan which is urban noir and then 
you know, when they were doing season six of Game of Thrones, I, I took a pass on that to do Westworld, which was sort of sci-fi noir. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, those are those, and, and, and that's a genre that I think most cinematographers really love because, you know, there's there's some room for expressing expressing yourself and being a little bit more artistic than, than you might be in a, in a, you know, a more conventional show and certainly much more than a comedy or, you know, uh, something high key. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're the fun ones to do because you can, you know, you can stretch your wings a bit. And I've had the good fortune of, um, you know, this last five or six years now, literally game of Thrones has dovetailed perfectly with the Ray Donovan season, which is, really unusual for a freelancer. Usually you have to make a choice between, between one good job and another good job. And, and I've been blessed because, uh, you know, the, the schedules right up until this year, at least butted up to each other with a weekend off in between. So, um, the truth is I just wrapped season five of Ray Donovan in New York where we're moving the show next spring. And, um, I'm, 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 uh, today's practically my first day off and, uh, <laughs> what I'm going to watch on TV tonight. Right. <laughs> well, Robert, I, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us and opening our eyes to a different aspect of, of the film and TV world that we, you know, really, we take for granted, I think, sometimes. And uh, I do thank you for sharing with us. My pleasure. A big thank you going out to Robert McLaughlin for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond to give us another view of the world of films director of photography, and just so many other things he's done. It's amazing. Look at his credits in IMDb. It's just so many. And uh, be sure to check that out. And uh, also watch his uh, episodes of Game of Thrones and Ray Donovan, Westworld. You know, some of the biggest things there are on TV right now. So thank you very much, Robert, for joining us. And uh, let's see. We are going to be doing a lot more. We have an amazing guest. It's it's almost September here. And uh, we're going into season 11 of On Screen and Beyond. Not next week, but the following week we'll be hitting season 11. Now, we are doing a show next week. Normally, we take a break for a week or two before the new season starts. But uh, we're a little shy on them this week, uh, uh, this year rather. So uh, I'm just sort of catching up. And we are going to have a show next week. Got a great guest coming your way. And then we have a big guest coming your way on the uh, first episode of season 11 of on screen and beyond so be sure to join me for that and if you're on facebook be sure to like us if you are on oh one other thing the new trailer for bonji bear and the king of the rhythm the movie that i've written and i'm directing and also writing the songs for and everything uh is out and we have it up on uh, i have it on my facebook page i also have it uh, you know, uh, it's out and about on the Bonji Bear page and everything on Facebook. Check it out and hope you like it. And uh, we are going to be uh, still working on it. It's coming slowly, but we're going to be getting there. Hopefully we'll have a release date as soon as we can. But uh, it is coming along and very exciting. So I hope you're going to be checking that out. And uh, you know, let me know what you think. All right, that's it. So if uh, you uh, want to have your birthday announced here at On Screen and Beyond... You, a friend or a relative, whatever, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And also, uh, if you are on iTunes, be sure to leave a review for us. Love hearing those. And uh, 
That's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Thank you.